I want to turn your attention to the scriptures. We want to continue to talk about uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, because we're still sort of in that series. And what I've wanted to do is talk to all of us about how we should conduct our lives. Some people seem to conduct their lives as though um, Jesus is not coming or his coming is not imminent. Uh, so I, would, I want to continue that theme today, uh, not to beat you, but to encourage you to be who you are in him. God has gone to great lengths to save us. He is, it's not an easy thing to give your only son to die for, for people who don't even like you. You know, and so, and we were all that way. Everybody, every, everybody on the earth was an enemy of God. And God uh, reached out his hands to enemies. And so that's the way the kingdom conduct should be. So that means that if people are troubling you or they're doing crazy things and, and it just disgusts you, uh, your heavenly father uh, offered peace to them. And that's why you are here today is because of his generosity. So we want to talk about that today uh, in a subject called, or through a subject called the attitude of heavenly citizens. Uh, the attitude of, of heavenly citizens. Uh, when you think about attitude, it has to do with a settled way of thinking or feeling about something, something you've settled down into. That's who you are. You know, uh, sometimes people have um, uh, this, these attitudes that are so dysfunctional, so bad, always causing issues and problems. Sometimes we would say things like, that person needs an attitude adjustment. You know, now when I was a boy growing up in my home, uh, an attitude adjustment was not psychological. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you're getting off easy. So uh, when they gave us an attitude adjustment, they, they always applied it to the seat of learning. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's basically, it's basically, uh, typically, uh, attitude is, is often reflected in a person's behavior, uh, the way they comport themselves, the way uh, their, their personal conduct is. So that is the attitude. You don't have to say anything uh, for people to know you have a bad attitude. And so uh, we, what we want to do is, though, is talk about um, the attitude of heavenly citizens. It is different, not supposed to be different. It is different than the attitude of worldly people. And when you don't comport yourself according to heaven, you're, you're actually not doing what God wants, and you're not doing what Jesus died for. You may say, well, this is just the way I've always been. That's why Jesus came, so you wouldn't stay the way you've always been. You know, so, so, so I mean, be, the way you always, you always were is no excuse. And you're not to say, well, my daddy was like this and my granddaddy was like this. That's, this is just the way I am. No, you're going to go to a place where those kinds of people go when you die, if you don't change that. All right. And so uh, we want to talk about this heavenly attitude. So, uh, the, uh, what you'll find in life is that is that there are people who, who com conduct themselves based on the atmosphere around them, based on the environment. Uh, and I've, he I've heard people say, you can't be Christian in business. What? 
Well, I'd stay away from business. I would never be a part of a business deal the rest of my life. You, you take your, your new life into everything, into everything that you do. And so, so uh, the attitude of heavenly citizen is diametrically opposed to what is in the world. What that means is it is the polar opposite of that which is in the world. The, the world is going that way, and you are going the opposite. All right? So let's look at some scriptures in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, verses 5 through 12, Paul writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so he is saying, allow this mind to be in you. So this mind, God, God has, Jesus died, rather, to give you uh, this mind, to give you this spirit, to give you this attitude. He says, let this mind be in you. Allow it to function and flourish in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you and I never have a... Uh, an excuse to be situational, all right? So we never have an, uh, uh, an excuse to be situational. There's something called situational ethics, which means that in this situation, I act this way. In another situation, I act another way. Or if I'm in church and everybody's nice, only if everybody's nice, uh, will I comport myself in a nice way, right? But if when I'm in the world, it's dog eat dog, you know? The sort of, that's the situational ethics that is not acceptable in the kingdom of God. So I'm sharing these things because were Jesus to come, like before we leave here, uh, we've got a few minutes to get some things right. right. All right? We've got a few minutes. Yeah. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, so, so he is saying that you and I can have the same mind that Christ Jesus has. That's That's powerful. Let the same mind be in you, be, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God or did not think equality with God was something to be grasped. You know, my rights, this is mine. You know, you know how sometimes we are? My position is right, or I've got to be right about these things. Uh, you know, but Jesus did not think equality with God, with God demanding his rights uh, was something he uh, wanted to do was not something uh, to be grasped by him, but made himself. Now notice, he, he made himself of no reputation. He went around basically being, doing menial things, doing simple things, serving others uh, all of his life. That's how Jesus comported himself. He wasn't saying, uh, you didn't give me credit for that. Can you imagine uh, if Jesus had to get credit for everything that was done, there would be no time to get the other work done because you have to give him credit for every person breathing, every person smiling, every person walking, uh, the air, you know, whatever it is, we'd have to give him credit for the trees blowing in the wind, the wind itself, the roots of the trees, the rocks, you know, we couldn't give Jesus credit for everything. But he wasn't asking for credit. He was just doing the work. Sometimes we want credit for everything. And uh, if you've done anything uh, in life, you'll know that sometimes you don't get credit for what you've done. Someone else has done, done the job and you get credit for it. That's the way it is. Sometimes we, we, will, we will say things that we did not uh, uh, originate. We did not at all. We, we said that because somebody else said that. And so you can't just walk around saying, I demand credit for what I've done. So Jesus is saying that we should make ourselves of no reputation as did he, 
taking the form of a bondservant, Jesus did, and coming in the likeness of men. So this is the Almighty God who takes the position of a servant or a slave. Wow. Almighty God who did that. And the scripture says, uh, he even humbled himself, no, and being found in the appearance of a man, or as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so the scripture says, Jesus recognizing that he is God of very God. That's the best way I can say it. God of very God. So that means that he was, as a man, engendered by God, brought forth by God. So Isaiah tells us, uh, unto us a, a, a child is born, unto us a son is given. So the child is born, Jesus was born, but the son always was. And, and this is, is very, very big. So he says, when he found himself in the form of a man, he just humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Now, many of us will say, uh, okay, I, I obey God, but you've got to use your head. I know somebody here has said that before. You know, but you've got to use your head. It makes no sense. Well, what you're saying is it makes no sense to the natural mind. But we know that the, that the natural man is at enmity with God. He hates God. The natural man hates God. You say, well, I don't. Well, the natural man hates God. You're now a spiritual man. You used to hate God. We didn't want God to rule over us. Anyone God? That's why we disobey God. That's why we do what we want to do. We act like that somehow we're saved, but sin just pulls us, and we're trying, trying not to go, but it's just pulling us. That's, that's, that's erroneous. It's not true at all. Sin has no mastery over those who are born again. And so here, Jesus, we find Jesus becoming obedient to the point of death. You must become obedient also to the point of death. That is, if you're a heavenly citizen, you become obedient to the point of death. This is, this is what it means. Whatever the will of God is for your life, you then must follow that. That's what heavenly citizens do. Whatever the will of God is, they go. And we look at, at uh, these men and women in the scriptures and we marvel. But the scripture says Elijah was a man of like passion, just like us. Elijah was no special specimen. He was a man with like passions, just like we. If you could could slap Elijah and make him upset, then you can slap me and make me upset. You can slap me and make, make me upset. You can slap Elijah and make him upset. You know, so don't practice on me. <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying, Elijah, Elijah was a man of like passion. So just like us, but he prayed earnestly before God. He was walking with God. He prayed earnestly and God heard his prayer, shut up the heavens for three and a half years and never rained. So, so when we look at these Bible characters, we say, wow, they were great. I'm not like that. Well, you ought to be. And this is what the writer is saying. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And that was what we call an ignominious death. It was an ignoble death. It was nothing noble about being classified as a criminal, hang, uh, nailed to a, tr a cross, nailed to a cross and, and left there to suffocate and die. But he, he went through that. He became obedient to God. He didn't say, well, now I'm going to have to use my head. Looks like to me, you're going to nail me to that tree. I'm going to use my head, and I'm going to get out of that. 
But he could have he said, I can pray right now and God will give me 12 legions of angels to deliver me. But how will the scriptures be fulfilled? Also in our lives, in our lives. How can the will of God be done in me and in my sphere if I'm doing what I want to do or what I think is pragmatic? What I think is pragmatic. Well, this is the practical thing to do. Sometimes we'll read scripture and then we'll say, now let me give you something practical. I know what that means. But practical means, scripturally, practical means walking out the scripture like the scripture told you to. That's what practical means. It doesn't mean, now let's set that aside and do what is rational to the thinking. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that at all. So we, we have to comport ourselves differently in this world so that people will see that we are not from here. They will see our good works, our otherworldly works, our otherworldly conduct, and glorify our Father. That's what this is about. So Jesus became obedient to death. That is, he obeyed God even when he saw it taking him to his death. He obeyed God. What if God were to tell you to do something, but it was going to leave you in extreme poverty? Would you do it? Because I know your neighbors will say, you are crazy. Because they're using their head, and you're following the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says. As a result of Jesus obeying God to the death, it says, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So then Jesus now has the highest name and has the highest place. There is a reward. Paul is saying as a result of what Jesus did, God did something. So you and I may not know what God really has intended for our lives because we have not gone all the way. We have not lived a life uh, uh, totally abandoned to God. Well, maybe partially. Yeah. But the heavenly citizens live that way. Listen, we says that God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, then he says that that uh, everybody in heaven with God the Father is the exception, that every, and, and the Holy Spirit, uh, they are the exception, but everybody in every created being in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. It does not mean that they are now saved because the wicked, when they bow, they're just going to admit, you, you, you are who you say you are. You are, you are God Almighty. As they go into eternal punishment. But everybody will do it. So I figure it's better to bow now than be made to bow later. And by bowing, you're, you're, you're not just doing something, something physical, but you want to bow, as it were, your attitude. Everything about you must submit. Bowing means to submit. So you submit everything to God and don't let the world uh, encroach upon you and perpetrate all of its ills and evils upon you or try to conform you or mold you into its image. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've been in the workplace, I've been in life for a long time now, 
and uh, it's always coming at you. It's always coming at you. When you think that you're mature in one place and you get a little overconfident, then it comes at you right there. You know, it, it'll come at you. But you can't say, I'm justified in this particular conduct because it does not glorify God. You're not justified. I was reading in James, uh, just uh, I was looking at something, and so I went to a, a verse in James. I, I'm not really sure where it was. Maybe it was James 2.13. It may have been. When James talks about um, a lying, when a person lie, they lie against the truth. Whenever you lie, what you are doing is you're taking a position opposite God. Whenever you lie about anything, you're taking a position opposite God. You know, so you are on, you are on the side of Satan whenever you lie. You stepped over to be with Satan and while you're saying God is my Savior. That's, that's cold-blooded. So uh, uh, when you lie, you always lie against the truth. You don't just uh, lie in some, some way, you know, some uh, 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 not harmful way, some cloudy, nebulous way. You just, oh, I just told a little lie. No, you are standing opposite truth. Now, when Jesus tells us, when Paul tells us, rather, to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, we have to ask ourselves what kind of mind that was. And so let's look at Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, that tells us, Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Take, take what I am yoked to and learn from me. When I was a little boy growing up in the country, I saw yokes a few times. They didn't have them much in my day, but they, have, they would put them on a, a bad little cow, uh, like a little, little bull. They would take this... Uh, like a Y. It looks like a Y. They would take it and put it around his neck. If he always breaking out, they couldn't control him. They, they would take this thing and put it on his neck and tie it around his neck. So now he can't break out the fence, you know, because he's got this yoke. He's, he has a, a restrainer, something that constrains his movement. And so Jesus is saying, I want to constrain your movement. I, I want to limit what you will do without this. See, I'm going to tell you about, see, I'm with you, you know, because I know what I would do without Jesus. Because if you want to know what you would do without Jesus, just think about what you've done without Jesus. Yeah. And, and it's, this is for everybody, you know, everybody, everybody. My wife tells a story about uh, this little girl who, who, who was with her parents over at our house, and she walked into the kitchen and she walked into the kitchen. My, my wife was, had, had been cooking and stuff over there. I think I'm telling the story right. She had been cooking over there. And, and so the, all this stuff was out on the cabinets and stuff. And, and, uh, and uh, she said, whoa, somebody need, needs to clean this kitchen. Is that what you said? Some, somebody needs to clean this kitchen. Little old girl. About to, you know. And so my wife said, and who are you talking to about? Who are you talking about? And she said, all of y'all, all of y'all, everybody, everybody. So, so I'm talking about everybody here today. You know, everybody, everybody needs that yoke of Jesus. And this is what the yoke looks like. He says, learn from me. So, so it's, a, it's a yoke that puts us in a place where we must be gentle. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle. I am not... Uh, uh, boastful. I, I am not 
uh, self-vaunting. I'm vaunting myself up. I'm not, I don't do those kinds of things. He says, I'm gentle. I'm easy. Um, I don't... I don't uh, I don't snuff out a smoking wick. I don't do that. I don't see find people who are who are feeble, and I just go and put my put pressure on them. I don't do that. You know, I don't do that. I don't do that. He says I'm gentle. So Paul tells us in his, one of his epistles to Timothy, he says, "A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle." I wonder how many people here are quarrelers. You know, who quarrel? Don't don't raise your hand, please. But how many of us just quarrel all the time? I'm not talking about every, every now and then you may have some situation that's a little, you know, a little, little dynamic. But I'm saying you're, you quarrel. You, that's how you solve a problem, by quarreling, getting in somebody's face. Jesus, Paul says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to some? No, be gentle to all. Wow. That means those people who are quarrelsome, be gentle. That's how you handle them. A soft answer turns away wrath. He says, be gentle with them. Is this the way we're comporting our, our lives? This is what Jesus says we're to do. Right? This is what we're to do. All right? All right. Are we okay? Nobody's mad at me. He says, and by doing that, you will find rest for your souls. So that means that a lot of us live agitated lives. Uh, agitated lives. You, you want an idea of what agitated life looks like? Remember, remember in the old days, those who are older can get this a lot better than some of you younger people. When we first got washing machines, remember the first ones? They were some crude things, right? And uh, they'd go, choo, 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 just, just go, just shaking all that. And then we got what they call, I've forgotten what they called that one. Then we got one called an agitator. Remember the one that agitated? It, that thing just grits. It's going crazy in there. Just, just knocking the clothes around. I mean, if those clothes could not get clean in an agitator, there was no hope for them. They could not get clean, right? And so, and so, so what Jesus is saying is that you will find rest. You won't live an agitated life if you live a life of gentleness and lowliness. You won't live that agitated life. You're always agitated about something, right? So, so we must live a life of gentleness. And that means you're going to have to trust God. If you're going to live that gentle life that Jesus lived, you must trust God. Jesus lived every day dependent on the Father. He lived every day dependent on the Father. He lived every day dependent on the Father. And I want to live a, a God-dependent life. That means every day when I wake up, I'm going to depend on Jesus. Every day I'm going to depend on Jesus because there's something in my day that can agitate me. I'm going to depend on Jesus, and I'm going to give some gentleness to that wash cycle, right? I'm going to give some gentleness to that wash cycle. I'm going to get some lowliness to that wash cycle. Amen? Amen. This is for somebody here. Now, now how do you do that further? In Romans 15, 3, he tells us how to do that. Paul does. He says, for even Christ did not please himself. Wow. So we have some people pleasers here, but the people is you. <laughs> yeah, you are the person you're trying to please. You, you, know, we, you know, he says, Jesus did not please himself. Don't live a life pleasing yourself. Um, 
uh, I want to tell you the story again about the young man who was a young 40-year-old man, and uh, he said he had never known how selfish he was until he got married. Uh, that's a great example. He said, I didn't know because he, when he married that girl, he saw that girl, she was very appealing to him, and he married her for himself. And, and he realized that he was a very selfish person because he thought, well, I got somebody to cook, I got somebody to clean, I've got somebody to be with me, I got somebody to help me, I got me, me, me. And so Jesus did not live that kind of life. He did not please himself, the scripture says. Jesus says, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So Jesus lived a life for the will of another. He was always pleasing God the Father. Do you wake up every day thinking, I want to please God? This is what happened. He did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. And so those people who did not love God mistreated Jesus. And he, he bore it. And people today who don't love God will hurt you. Somehow they know. They may not personally know, but the spirit that is controlling them knows. That's why Christians are often persecuted for no reason. Just because you showed up. Okay, we're talking about the, the conduct or the attitude of the heavenly citizen. So now let me name several things very quickly. Um, the, the heavenly citizen must always be properly positioned. That means you must be in the place where God told you to be. If, if God told you to be here at this fellowship, now I'm not trying to, to, to somehow crop your wings. I hope you don't fly off, but, but I'm not trying to necessarily do that. But if God told you to be here, you're supposed to be here. You, you know, it's like my mom, when she would cook, she would, she would cook a meal. She was a great cook, really, absolutely a great cook. Married a great cook. You know, I've been around good cooks all my life. All, if you want some good food, just go to one of my relatives. You can call them up today. But, 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 but mom would cook good food, and she would say, now you eat this. I mean, there were very few exceptions that, that, that I didn't have to eat when she cooked. Very, very few. You could count them on one hand and half fingers left. But I had to eat food that she knew was good for me. And when God tells you, this is where I want you, it doesn't matter what's going on. You have to be what God told you. You have to stay where God told you. Your blessing is where God told you to be. Your blessing is not where you want to go. That's a lot of us, uh, are not blessed like God wanted to bless us because we have not obeyed like God has instructed us to. Come on, come on. Now, you have to be properly positioned. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17, he says to, to Judah, you will not need to fight in this battle. It's, he says, position yourselves. So position yourself. You don't have to do the carnal thing. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord who is with you. Wow, you, you don't know how great God is on your behalf because you've not once, you've not positioned yourself properly, you, you, you have not stood still, you've not watched to see what God would do before you put your hand to it. Wow, wow, wow. So let me go to point number two. Um, th this is also number two. Uh, the, the attitude of a, of a heavenly citizen. Let the dead bury their own dead. You stay focused. 
That, that is, worldly people are going to do worldly things. That's not your business. You stay focused on what God has told you to do. Sinners sin. Sinners sin. Sinners backstab. Sinners lie. They are not of the truth. You are of the truth. You stay focused. Let the dead bury their dead. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, it says, Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So this man probably meant that let my dad is sick, let me go, and when dad, after dad is dead, I'll come and follow you. That's probably what it looked like. Is, is there been anything in your life you go, God, when I retire, I'll work for you? I know, man. I mean, if you've done it, don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. You didn't know, you didn't have this sermon before, all right? But you know, I mean, I was, I was challenged by that. I, I, I had counselors around me saying, after you retire, you know, you, from, from this job, this lucrative job, after you retire, then you can serve the Lord. Now, that may be all right because God wanted you to keep your day job. You know, there, there are people God wanted to keep the day job, right? And, uh, and so, but there are others of us, God says, no, that was just temporary, and I'm, I'm, I have something else for you. So I knew God had something else for me. I knew that, that that position I had, which was a very good one, was not my rest. And so, but people are saying, man, you're, you're crazy. You got to use your head. You need to stay at that job. You know, there are people who do anything for a job. Like, no, I had to quit it. This is what Jesus means in, in verse 22. But Jesus said to that man, to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. He said, you follow me. You let the world take care of the world. Follow me because what I'm telling you to do is far more important than that. It doesn't matter how urgent it seems. What I'm telling you is far more everlasting, as it were. In, in Luke chapter 9, verse 60, uh, Luke gives another account. Luke gives a slightly, he gives that account, but he gives a little bit more information. He says, Jesus said to him, to that man, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And this is the scripture that was crying out to me. I could not do that secular, what we would call secular thing. I could not do that natural thing because I heard the voice of God say something and I had to go and preach the kingdom of God. So stay focused on what God tells you. That heavenly citizen, that mature person stays focused. It doesn't matter what the buzz is, they stay focused. All right. And the third one, the third attitude uh, is knowing the power of unity. All mature believers know the power of unity. And I'm reading from the ESV in Luke chapter 11, verse 17. Luke 11, verse 17, we start. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a, a divided house falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because of the knowledge of this scripture, uh, because of the knowledge this scripture brings uh, to every, brings us, every kingdom citizen is obliged to seek unity and live in peace with all people. Let me say that again. Because of the knowledge this scripture brings, every kingdom citizen is obliged to live or seek unity and live in peace with all people. This is what the scripture means. It means that every kingdom citizen should not take every opportunity 
to be combative. Don't bite the combative bait. Don't, don't, don't bite the oppositional bait. Don't do that. Uh, I told the first service that Pastor Charles and I were, were the best of friends. I mean, just great friends. Loved each other. And uh, I knew that he would take a bullet for me and I would take a bullet for him. We, we live that kind of life. I would take a bullet for, for him and he would take one for me. And, but we didn't agree on everything. But you would never have known it. You would never have known that. You would never have known that. We, did, we didn't even fight about it. You know, sometimes I, I would say something smart because he, he had this quick wit. And uh, he would always, uh, I won't even tell you some of the things he would say, but he had quick wit. And I would, I would say, I'd say, you know, you know I'm right, don't you? And he'd say something back and we'd laugh and slap each other on the back and go about our business because we were focused. We were, we, we were at one. We were one in spirit. We were one in work because we knew that was more important than the way we view natural things. And this is what God wants us to be. He wants us to be that way. He tells us in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without, which no one will see the Lord. I think uh, the King James says it like this. Follow peace with all men and holiness without, which no man shall see the Lord. Wow. So what that means is you must pursue peace. Not just be in the place if they want to be peaceful, okay. No, you are a man or woman of God. You have the spirit of God. You are a heavenly citizen. You have been born again, so you must pursue. You be the pursuer of peace. You have to pursue the peace. Make the peace. And, 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 and if you're married, your wife may help you with that. I don't know who's going to help the women, but I know the women can help the men. Right? Because we men, we, we know things were a little different. You know I'm, what I'm saying, right? You know, we, we, we men, we have this turf territory, and we don't want anybody stepping on our turf. You know that's true. It doesn't matter if you're a gentle man. You still don't want anybody on your turf. You know, we don't want anybody on the turf. And then even the gentle guy goes, hey, wait a minute, that, that's too much. Even the gentle guy. Well, I like that. And the wives are the ones who would say, come on, you got to be different. But you just say, no, you got to be different. No, you got to be different. No, you're going to be different. And then you say, but you go out, you go to work, and then you come back home. Are you different? You know, or, or then you sit at the table. And you know, you've got to be different. And, and you go, you start to go, whoa, whoa. And then you, you lie down. Now you have to be different. <laughs> and, and I, I, I think all the men are looking like this. In the church, you know, <laughs> like I don't dare look around. You know what I'm saying? And so what happens after a while, we go, if I don't be different, I'm not going to get any peace. I've got to be different. But, so, so that's kind of the way that works. If you're, if you're a godly man, you're listening to her. Now listen to what he says here. He says, pursue peace, follow peace, pursue it, go after it with all, everybody. That means that, that, that in the political debate, go after it. I want to be at peace with you. You don't have to see the world like I see it, but I want to, want to, want to be one with you. You're my brother. You're my sister. I love you. Come on, no, let, let, let's not even talk about that crazy stuff because we are already doing the important thing. That's how, that's how heavenly citizens must and should comport themselves. And there are no exceptions here. Hallelujah. Thank you for that one amen. We're over there. <laughs> okay. He says, well, listen, we're going to do that because what? Looking carefully, we're going to pursue peace. Lest, I mean, looking carefully, lest 
anyone falls short of the grace of God. So what he's saying is if you're not doing this, if you're not following peace, you are falling short of the grace of God. Doesn't mean you've fallen from grace. That doesn't mean that you're going to hell. It means that you didn't quite get to God's purpose for you. Man, I can tell you stories about that in my own life. I can tell you when, when I thought I was dying that day and I was so heartbroken because I had lived sometimes when I had come short of the glory of God. I had not gotten quite there because of self-preservation. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. I said to God, I don't want to see you like this. He said, it was, it was, it was, I was in the throes of death. And I said, I don't want to see you like this. I don't want to see you like this. Give me one more opportunity. Give me one more opportunity. Give me another opportunity. And God has given me another opportunity and another one and another one to walk it out. And he's giving this congregation an opportunity to walk it out now. Listen to what he says. Lest, the, the second lest, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. And so what he's saying is, if you're not following peace, after a while you're going to have a root of bitterness. And it's sort of like the birds, my wife's beautiful English garden in the back. Beautiful plants, are just absolutely beautiful. She put a lot of good stuff in, in there, good plants in there. Beautiful flowers, just flowers I'd never even seen them, nor existed, and they all back there. I wanted vegetables, she wanted flowers, she got flowers. And so, but, uh, but there are weeds in that garden. We have to weed that garden. You know why? Because there were some weeds in the, some seeds in the soil. We have to weed that garden because birds fly over. And so we, we are, that's how we are. You know, we, are, we, are, we have a natural being as well. And there's some, some bad seeds in there, some attitudes and di different things. And we have to constantly weed. We can come here to the church and be weeded. We can go to our pr prayer closet and be weeded. You have to be weeded. And then there are just things in life like birds flying over your head. As somebody said, I can't stop a bird from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest there. And, and, and that's how we are. Birds, the things of life are going to fly over you and they're going to drop some seed in the soil, in your soil as it were, but you have to keep pulling the weeds. That's what God wants you to do. Live that life of weed pulling. And if you will stay moist with the word of God, stay moist by the spirit of God, stay moist with praise and worship, it's easier to pull the weeds. Amen? All right. He said, the third lesson is lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. How many times have Christians given up the purpose of God for something worth nothing? Maybe it was, maybe it was a night not well spent. Maybe you decided to go out with some friends and say, I'm going to go out and just this one time, I'm going, to, I'm going to drink these what they call adult beverages. I'm going to drink them and then you keep on and then after a while you go and you do something you shouldn't have done. How many times has that happened? You know, so just for one, uh, for, for one morsel of food, he sold his birthright. His birthright was great. It would not, the scripture would not be reading uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It would be reading Abraham, Isaac, and Esau because it was his birthright, but he sold it. He despised it, and he's called a fornicator. Wow. And then afterwards, he wanted it, 
to inherit the blessing. He wanted to, to inherit the blessing, and he couldn't get the blessing because Jacob had already gotten that too. And so he was rejected. He found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And this is what I think for the New Testament church, this is what that looks like if I, if I were to break it down in the New Testament uh, uh, type. That means that you, uh, you, you are going to live with your circumstances. You bring about some adverse circumstances in your life or in the life of those who, who love you. You bring about adverse circumstances and now you're praying to God, you're crying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but you have to live with those things you've done five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, 50 years. You have to live with them. You can't undo them. You're saved, but you have created something that you cannot change. So the attitude of the heavenly citizen is not so. Uh, I think I have time maybe for one, one more, and then we'll just go. I, I got one, if I go one more, I'll beat what I did in the first service. <laughs> this, the fourth attitude is seen in something greater. You have an attitude, something greater. You have a, an understanding and a value of what God has done. Do you value salvation? Do you really value the fact that God saved you? Do you value the fact that you were a sinner and you were incapable of good and now God has filled you with his goodness? Do you value that? Something greater. Do you know something is greater? Do you know that Jesus is the greater something? The kingdom of God because he brought the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Yes. Now let me read this to you in Luke eleven twenty nine through 32. And I'm reading from the ESV on this one. It says, this generation is an evil generation. And the one we live in is so, certainly so. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And what he is showing us is that, is that people wanted, the Jews here, the Pharisees wanted a sign. Well, show us something, Jesus. You know, do, do something, show us. And, and Jesus, of course, fed uh, uh, these 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Well, Moses fed a whole, maybe, maybe a million and a half or three million people. Well, well, you haven't done anything. And Jesus told them, well, well, yeah, Moses fed them bread, but they are dead. But if you eat this bread, you'll never die. And what Jesus is saying here is that if this preaching, if his preaching, his preaching should have been enough because his preaching was like no other preaching. And we are New Testament preachers of the gospel and it ought to be enough to convince everybody. That, that, that was the sign of Jonah. It wasn't so much that Jonah looked like he had been in a whale's belly or a big fish's belly for three days and now he looks like a corpse. Maybe so, but I don't think that was it. It was the, the power of the preaching. It was the power of the preaching and he preached and the people of Nineveh repented of their, their wickedness. And so he says that is what's going to, to be given. So, so then he says, Jesus gives another example. He says the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemned them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater than Solomon is here something greater than Solomon is here the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the, this generation and condemn it for they repented of the preaching of Jonah and behold something greater than Jonah is here that something was the kingdom of God presented in the person of Jesus Christ.
Amen. Amen. So, so, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for listening. I mean, this is just, I, I told you that we're living in a pivotal generation, a, a piv pivotal decade, a pivotal decade. And those of us who really believe that we're living in a pivotal decade, we're going to change our conduct. We're going to walk differently. We're not going to be casual about the things of God. We're going to walk this thing out. We're not going to look for a church that will soft sell the gospel. We're going, to look, we're going to look for the place where God wants us, and we're going to walk in the truth of God. This is what God wants for all of us. So let's, let's give God what he wants. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, us, would believe in him should not perish, shall not perish, cannot perish, will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's give him what he wants. Let's be the people who will give him what he wants. If you're here today and you don't know him, you, you, you can't give him what he wants because you don't know him. But if you will today, if you will today say, I want Jesus Christ to save me. I want Jesus Christ to save me. He will do it. And if you're here today and you, you, you have not given your heart to Jesus, would you just be bold enough to raise your hand and, and leave it up until, until I see it or somebody recognizes it? And say, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ today. I want to change my life. I want to change my destiny today. I, I want to change my, my, my manner of living today. You can do that. Yes, ma'am, I see yours. Is there somebody else? Anybody else? Even if you scratch your nose, I'm going to count you. Is there anybody? Anybody? I see, I see a hand. Is there anybody else? You want to, you want to give your heart? Listen. Were Jesus to come before we get to the parking lot, it would be, it, we would have to say something like, que lastima, as we go to be with him, but you stay behind. Yeah. If you stay behind, you're eternally lost. Yeah. You, know, you know, it pleased God by the foolishness of the message preached to save people. So, is there anybody else? Okay, there's somebody else. Okay. I see someone else. What I'm going to do, Reverend Rochelle, would you come stand? And would you, you help them? I want you, you ladies, to meet Reverend Roots. And, uh, and she's going to be here. And she's going to lead you to the Lord Jesus and pray with you. Would you mind doing that? Just don't care about anybody else. It doesn't matter if they're looking at you or not. Come on, they're already going to heaven, so don't let them spare you down. Come on, let's, let's go with her. She's going to help you. Now.